Welcome to Larpender Life, the podcast about HP St. Paul in the 80s and 90s. I'm your host, Dave Carey. Sixty-four K of memory. K. <laughs> and so I was techie, and uh, then I decided I wanted to get into sales. Out of fifty-two weeks a year, I'm sure I traveled forty-eight. This is episode number 20. 20, can you believe it? My guest today is Tom Obinger. If you missed any of the previous episodes, you can check them out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, or you can just stream them straight from the website. And now, here's my discussion with Tom. Welcome, everyone. My guest for today is Tom Obinger. Tom, really appreciate you being here. Welcome to Larpenter Life. Well, thanks for inviting me, Dave. Good to see you again. It's great to see you. We were talking before we turned the recording on. We think it might be nearly a quarter of a century. That is a a scary thought. Tom, um, speaking of going back a little ways, how and how and when did you first get uh, connected to HP? Where have you where are you from initially and what was that journey like? Well, I've uh, grown up in Minnesota. We lived a couple of years in the Boston area and a couple of years in the uh, Sunnyvale Palo Alto area. But uh, my first real job was with uh, a Minneapolis company Control Data. Most people that grew up in Minneapolis are very familiar with them. I was uh, a field engineer for a few years. Uh, I was trained on a small uh, computer line and went out to, moved us to Boston and had about a half a dozen different uh, computers uh, all around the Boston area, MIT, Lincoln Labs, uh, Sylvania. Uh, so after about two years of that, they asked me to come back and cross-train me on uh, a larger computer. And I moved out to Sunnyvale. Actually, the office was in Palo Alto which was Control Data's uh, development center. So I worked uh, there for uh, probably about four or five months and the engineer in charge, we had three shift operation, the engineer in charge left and they promoted me to uh, run the uh, the site. So we, like I said, we had uh, three different different shifts. It was a large operation. We had like uh, five big computers in one big room, all discrete components. Uh, a print circuit card the size of my hand would have four transistors on it, did 64K of memory, K. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and they were core memory, paper tape readers, paper tape punch, uh, card readers and card punches, tape units, uh, all the old time peripheral equipment. What year was this, Tom? This was, uh, well, this is, I started with control data in about 1960 and uh, was there till uh, just a few months before I started HP in 1978. And uh, so I, they, I came back to the Minneapolis area with control data in a design capacity because I was finding bugs in the uh, computers and designing fixes for them. And I'd send the fix back to the uh, factory or back to the home office. And so I got kind of a reputation of being uh, having a knack for, for this uh, kind, of work, kind of work. So they asked me to come back as a design engineer 
which I did for a few years. And then I managed a diagnostic group for three, four years. And so I was techie. And uh, then I decided that, and actually I was managed a business application group too, COBOL in those days uh, for control data. And then I took a job as a recruiter thinking I wanted to get into sales, but uh, I didn't really know who I wanted to go with. And I thought, what a great opportunity to go with a recruiter. I'll find out all the openings that are available in the Twin Cities area, and uh, maybe I can find one that would fit. And so sure enough, I had an opening with uh, Tom Rapith and Mike Merrill. And uh, so I looked at the listing, talked to him about it. And I said, you know what, I think I, I fit the qualifications for this job. And so they asked me a few questions on the phone and said, well, let's get together and uh, let's do an interview. So uh, I did that with both Mike and Tom and then flew down to interview with Bob Stringer in Chicago and uh, got an offer and uh, came to work. And I remember uh, coming into uh, Prior Avenue, uh, there was a bunch of the sales reps that were there were Mark Dankers, Dave Polly, uh, Denny Woolley, Eddie Slavin, Bob Severson, I think was there then, Lance Smith. And uh, do you remember Bob Metz? He was not there when I started in a couple years, a few years later. Okay. But, and then there was, um, you know, uh, uh, Doug Felsenthal and Owen Benson, Dudley McBride. Sure. Those are some of the old time people that were there when I first started. Wow. So that's pretty interesting. I mean, you, you made a pretty significant change in your career. You know, you did a lot of technical stuff at Control Data, it sounds like, and then switching over to HP and moving into sales kind of all in once. Uh, that was a pretty sizable change. Yes, it was. It was. But I've enjoyed it. I, I thought sales was a lot of fun. A lot of different kind of pressure, of course, but, uh, you know, it was always about making quota, but that's what sales is. Right. What do you think it was about sales that really uh, drew you in uh, away from the technical path? Well, I think it was more the freedom and uh, interfacing with with uh, customers and different people instead of being locked in a room, you know, doing uh, flowcharts and designing uh, circuits. Uh, it was just more of a social uh, social opportunity, and uh, I, I caught on to it and liked it immediately. And, uh, you know, I started out as a sales rep uh, uh, dealing with the OEM, third parties, and then moved on to uh, field marketing manager. And I used some of my recruiting experience as a re when I was uh, working for this recruiting, recruit, <laughs> sorry about <laughs> that, recruiting company. And um, so I uh, helped uh, interview and hire a lot of the people back in those days, Steve Shorb, Dan Mikowski, uh, Barb Stinnett, uh, uh, Doug Kaywood, Tom Kahn. I, I'm sure I forgot a lot of people, but uh, yeah, it was uh, so then and then went from there as into a district sales manager for the 3M district and then area sales manager. Yeah, right. So you were there at the very early days, actually, the, the very beginning days when the office moved from prior to Larpenter. Can you what do you remember about that? that change? Well, it was a huge difference because we were very cramped uh, at Prior Avenue. And uh, walking into uh, uh, Larpenter Avenue and having the space available with a big auditorium and a lot of uh, amenities that we didn't have in Prior Avenue. And of course, everything was growing. We were adding staff and, uh, you know, not only salespeople, but SEs, as you know, 
and admin staff. And uh, it, it was it was really, really different, but uh, certainly a, a step up. And those were quite the days, those uh, those early days in the eight, early 80s on Larpenter. And um, it was kind of uh, a different time, if you will, culturally. Uh, a lot of things happened in those days that would never would never happen in, in these days. Oh, yeah. And in fact, uh, there was some here that I can mention, uh, you know, back in when I think it started actually on Prior Avenue. First of all, the old days, you used to have donuts every morning. They would bring them in. And everybody would stand in line running for a donut because it was out. It was never enough to go around to everybody. But then on Fridays at four o'clock or so, uh, they would open up the kitchen and open up the cabinets, and it was full of liquor. And uh, people would have a drink fest from maybe four to six o'clock. And uh, it was astounding to me because Control Data was a very straight company. Uh, you would never have alcohol. In fact, if you came back from lunch with alcohol in your breath, uh, you, you may be terminated at control data. But that was uh, not the not the case with HP at all. Very loose, very fun-loving company. And the guy that uh, ran the, um, the office at that point had Jack Wambacher's job before Jack was uh, Wim Yonan, who just recently died. Uh, uh, what happened is I always kind of said, what's going to happen if somebody goes home and gets in a car accident? What's the liability on HP? That was always in the back of my mind. And sure enough, that happened. It was an admin lady. I know her name, but I'm not going to mention it. And uh, she got she got in a terrible car accident. And that shut down the Friday night alcohol parties uh, completely. So, wow. I never, I never knew that. I mean, I, yeah. you know, there was always... Oh, geez, sometimes it seems like it was Friday at noon, even um, people, people would sort of uh, head over to the steak and ale and stuff like that. I think that was not yeah. really company sanctioned on company grounds. And maybe that was after after the incident you're talking about. I, I never realized that. That's what a shame. Yeah, yeah. And of course, they out in Palo Alto, uh, they they had the uh, usually just uh, because of some big announcement or something that, that they would have a beer keg party, and uh, they cut those out too. I think it just got to be too risky for the company to have that liability hanging over their head. So it's too sure. bad it was fun at the time, but time time changes. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, Paul. When I chatted with Paul, he talked about uh, Halloween. Halloween party where um, oh yes <laughs> the, the nun laying out in the front uh, yes I, I know who that was too but we won't say <laughs> yeah well there's there's been a few of those yeah and of course um, in those days um, you could smoke in the office the whole thing I mean yes. it was and uh, it, it was it was quite a quite a different atmosphere you could be sitting in a meeting <clears throat> right next to somebody who would be smoking. And uh, I don't know how non-smokers could put up with that. Uh, I was a smoker earlier in my life, but uh, it's, uh, it was really uh, such a different uh, era. And none of these things could uh, could you get by with now, of course. But uh, it was fun when it lasted. And, of course, we had a lot of fun in the office. Uh, I remember when I think about funny things, uh, I always a lot of times go back to uh, Denny Woolley who uh, drove his motorcycle into the Iowa City office, which I, I wasn't there, but I heard about it. It was actually running, and I'm sure he just kind of duck-waddled it through around the desks. But uh, And then he would, uh, every couple of weeks, go down the intercom 
and uh, had this recording of a hilarious laughter and just radiated across, throughout the whole office. And people would just be uh, rolling on the floors. It was so funny to, to hear this. And uh, then I go back uh, with, you know, little stories about uh, Sophie walking around telling people that uh, they should have a haircut and their shoes are not shined. And uh, she, uh, at one time I was, when I was a sales rep, my phone was ringing and I decided not to answer it. I was in the middle of something and uh, she came running over to me and says, Tom, answer your phone. <laughs> she said that could be a customer, and, uh, but that that was uh, that was Sophie. She was she was fun. <laughs> Absolutely, the the uh, the mom of of the of uh, you know couple hundred of us in the office. So yeah. So can you you know it's easy to think about um, you know kind of how we all do when. Uh, we think about all the great times and the laughs and the things we kind of shake our head at and go, hey, you couldn't do that now. Um, are there are there any parts uh, as you think back that were kind of really difficult? I mean, when you were the, you know, a sales manager and area sales manager, you know, what was sort of the hardest part of that? And and were there some things that people kind of misremember? Well, the the hardest part of the job was the overwhelming travel. On Out of 52 weeks a year, I'm sure I traveled 48 oh uh, of those weeks. I, I was, sometimes I'd, I, it would be a turnaround. I'd catch a seven o'clock flight to St. Louis and a six o'clock flight coming back. Uh, but many times it was uh, two or three days and uh, international travel. Uh, I'd have to, later on in my career, I'd uh, go to Europe uh, a couple times, three times a year and Asia a couple times a year. So the travel was uh, was really tough. And uh, of course, uh, the stress of uh, making your numbers when you work for somebody like Bob Sutcamp, who was uh, calling every day saying, I need, I need uh, sales, I need sales, I need orders. And I, I, I remember having discussions with him and I'd say, Bob, he'd call two days before the end of the month and he'd say, I need orders, Tom, I need orders. And I'd say, Bob, you know, all of us have every incentive in the world to put in an order if it's a good order. But I, I can't create an order in two days. And uh, I'm sorry, every order that's good is in the system or will be in the system. But that didn't stop him. The next month, he'd call two, two, two or three days to go and say, Tom, I need orders. So there was a lot of, lot of uh, pressure on that regard. But uh, those were the, uh, the two negative things, I guess, that I would look at. The interesting thing for me, Tom, is, of course, I, I was with HP uh, up until November of 2020, so just not very long ago. And uh, mm -hmm. the one thing I would say about the world of of sales is th that that has really changed because that's always the way sales is. You know, you you you're always as good as your last number, right? And um, yeah. But I think the thing that's a little bit different is um, the amount of that. Um, the sheer volume of that kind of messaging and how far down into the organization it went seemed to me to, to be a lot different. And the one thing that I really, when I think back to that is, I mean, you and your teams and your peers in the management world really maybe had to, had to field a lot of that from above you, but I don't ever feel like it was 
an undue amount of pressure on the sales reps, the individual contributors, like they were feeling that day in, day out, any, you know, make a number when there is no number to be made, you know, that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Well, we tried to buffer that, Uh, you know, the lower level managers tried tried to buffer that uh, uh, and and not put a lot of pressure on sales reps. Uh, I I think a lot of us didn't feel, you know, the uh, Ron Enroos, Dave Biggums, all all the managers in the office. Uh, It just isn't the right way to manage to put that kind of pressure on people. You don't get response uh, and you don't have a good morale and it's just not a good thing to do. And I, I think when you think about that, I mean, obviously you, uh, you know, you demanded a certain amount of excellence out of your employees and you expected a certain amount of, um, you know, everything done right by the customer. And that's sort of, that's sort of table stakes uh, from working there. But, um, but, but you never, it never became an unreasonable amount of pressure. At least I never, I never felt that. And I don't, I mean, I knew I worked with almost every individual sales rep. I, I never felt like they did. And I think I think that's kind of extraordinary. I, I think there are a lot of I mean, you guys are to be commended for that because there's I think that helped to create sort of the family atmosphere that people talk about where they just weren't under day to day crazy pressure all the time um, from that. And I think it ended up uh, serving us well, and they ended up doing better because of that. And you yeah. you don't lose a very good sales rep who happens to be in a bad position with the territory that they're covering this particular year. You're not going to fire them because they had one bad quarter, and that sort of thing can happen today. So, um, yeah, I, I know. Um, well, I really appreciate you connecting with me. It's it's great to uh, talk to people after. <laughs> one or two years have gone by. Yeah, you know, time goes so fast. Uh, Janice and I turned 80 this year. And uh, I kind of relate life sometimes to a football game. And we're in the uh, last half of the fourth quarter, homing in on the final two minute warning. But, uh, you know, there's it's going to be all downhill from this point. Uh, You know, I'm still playing pickleball. I still run a little bit. Uh, We're lucky that uh, I'm, I'm still active and Janice uh, had a, a knee, uh, a couple of knee replacements, but uh, otherwise she's doing pretty good too. So we're living a good life, and you know, with the Arizona and Minnesota two houses, and uh, we're we're uh, milking the best out of life. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And for you know, you and I can see each other on the Zoom, and obviously on the podcast, people won't won't be able to see that. You you don't look any different to me, so uh, I never would have believed that you're. You're 80. Uh, so uh, congratulations on that. I don't I don't know how a sales manager under that kind of uh, pressure can uh, look as good as you you do. But um, well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad to hear it. And um, well, uh, once again, thanks for joining me, Tom. It's been great to see uh, to see you and talk to you. And I look forward to someday being able to get together back in person. And, uh, you know, we can say uh, before another 24 years goes by. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks again, Dave. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Larpenter Life is produced solely by me, Dave Carey. It's not affiliated or sponsored by HP in any way. Hey, you know I'm going to ask you to volunteer to be a guest. And it's fun, even more fun than getting a booster shot. 
So give me a call or send me an email at larpenderlife at gmail.com. Until next time, take care, everybody.